Kopitiam Conversations. This is Kopitiam Conversations, and I'm your host, Winston. My guest for this episode is Amelia Tiran. Amelia Tiran is an artist, art writer, art educator, and designer based in Kuala Lumpur. Amelia received her Bachelor of Fine Arts from the University of Bridgeport at the US and later her PhD in Art History from University Science Malaysia. She has been teaching design, visual art, studies and art history in numerous art colleges while freelancing as a graphic designer. She is the author of Living Art, the inspired lives of 40 Malaysian artists and their art practice. She quit full-time teaching to pursue painting in 2019. Hello, Amelia, and welcome to Kobe Time Conversations. It's so Hi. good to have you here. You are a professional artist right now, all right? You can see the artwork behind <laughs> you and also, all right, product placement, I see. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> so last year, right, you, you wrote a book called Living Art, The Inspired Lives of 14 Malaysian Artists and Their Art That's Practice. Right. Mm-hmm. right. You even went on TV for that, right? I think I saw um, you going... On Astro. Yeah, on yeah. Astro, yes. Kawani. Kawani, yes. Yep. Now, so during the course of your interviews with these uh, 14 local artists, okay, what was one thing that you found was a common practice among all of them? What was something that you have learned from these local artists while writing the book? Right. Okay. Well, um, okay. When I did Living Art, I I have to say that I I picked, I sort of selected the artists in such a way to um, showcase their diversity. So in a sense, uh, to to showcase the many ways of making art and the different techniques and different methods shown. So it was mostly um, the diversity I was looking for. Um, But I think, but still, you know, um, if I had to pick one sort of I would say attitude in common. Mm-hmm. I would say that maybe um, I felt that all of them had this uh, non-conformist attitude to life in general. Right. Yeah? Okay. And I mean, I mean that in the best way, in the sense that um, they don't look for the approval of the world in, in regards to their work. You know. Right. Right. Uh, they mm-hmm. don't. They don't necessarily follow the popular opinion, mm-hmm. and uh, they, they are prepared to go against the grain. You know, if they have to. You right. Know? And and sometimes I mean even if the situation is very difficult, but mm-hmm. uh, they are they are still prepared to be themselves, you know. Right. And I, I think yeah I think that's the I think that's the quality that actually helps them to produce work that is um, very thought provoking. Right. So you like have mm-hmm. fourteen peculiar individuals, each one with their own unique style and their own uh, personalities, their, their mm. different and th- very diverse art forms and all. And um, you managed to bring them all uh, together in one volume and showcase you know, how they are different in that way and, and what makes them so different and all. So basically, you're trying to capture their personality within that book as well, right? Yes, 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 that's right. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, how was that for you? how was that for you? I mean, in in terms of you know, was it really a, a tough journey that you know you had to deal with all these different personalities and all? No, they're actually very nice. Or maybe mm-hmm. I picked them because they were so nice. I'm not sure. <laughs> but but um, they were very open. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I visited their studios, and so it was very enjoyable for me. It was a really good process. Um, right. 
I think it was a very it was not at all difficult you know mm-hmm. they were not difficult to work with um, right they were more than happy to like show me around the studio mm. and you know um and they were very honest about their work right. uh, which I really appreciated because some of them really opened up about um some of the struggles they went through and their stories so yeah they they were very honest right right yeah. okay ever encountered some who were a little bit more difficult maybe they may not be in the among the 14 but maybe in your quest for whether you know your work or even what you have studied and all that of course there are always difficult uh, <laughs> difficult <laughs> artists or difficult people um and um uh, for for the purpose of the book i i didn't want to put myself through through that when there are right. so many when there are so many um, good and nice uh, artists uh, you know who who right who are yeah open about their their work you know mm-hmm. and willing to talk about it in, in a way that is not you know that's very positive yeah Right. So, do you have to travel the entire Malaysia, or or they were basically in the Klang Valley? Oh yeah, they were um, to Penang, to Sabah, mm-hmm. um, to Kelantan, um, right. and then maybe like Pontixen. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Kelantan. Wow. Yeah, okay. The, the, the furthest was Sabah lah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. All in all, how long did it take you to put that whole volume together? It took me about two years. Moving on from here, how has the learning of art history? Because you did art history for your PhD, all right. So, how has the learning of art history shaped your perceptions and observations about art? I mean, clearly, the idea of art is different to an art historian than you know a person on the street, like for example, me lah. Okay, so clearly, the idea of art to art historian is very different, and clearly, like night and day from the person on the street. So, what is it that is being taught, or even what is being caught, that you have learned that differentiates the definition of art? Mm, I think one of the main differences, um, as an art historian, uh-huh. is that we spend more time trying to to understand the historical context. Obviously, so we 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 will we want to look at the work from a wider perspective, right. um, and, and you want to look at. Uh, what are the different factors surrounding that work? So you're looking at everything from uh, political conditions, mm-hmm. um, social, cultural environment, the values, uh, what's the technology available? I mean, every every possible angle, right. and and so you're examining the work to 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 understand. It's not about your personal opinion. It's it's about understanding other people's perspectives. Right? right. Uh, mm-hmm. Why do they think that way? So. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. So coming back to your question, I guess what's the difference? If um, if I were to approach it as a person on the street, right. usually my definitions would be based on, say, my very personal uh, childhood experience mm-hmm. uh, growing up with art. I think usually that's the case. We are shaped right. by our uh, childhood encounters with art. You know, right. uh, what looks good, what doesn't look good. I mean, all that is shaped by mm-hmm. our experience. So mm-hmm. um, if you were living among people who who Worked with uh, wood while they were growing up. Uh, maybe your idea of art then would be based on uh, like good craftsmanship or, right. or skills in in woodworking, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you were growing up in an environment where you were given uh, crayons and paper and coloring, doing a lot of coloring, so your idea would then be based on drawing and coloring. Right, right. right. So I think um, art history 
has taught me to be more open to to different interpretations mm-hmm. and not to hold on too tightly to your personal definitions, you know. Judging by what you have told me, right? Um, so art history is basically um, the artist's perspective on what is and his or her response with the um, external factors, right? What about internal mm-hmm. factors? Uh, was is that also taken into account when you're learning about art history? Because like, what oh, yes, is that yes, person yes. going through at a particular time, right? Maybe not necessarily the yes, political definitely. scene or the his or her artistic uh, environment. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, a big part of art history also looks at the the uh, the life, the life of the artist, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the expression. What is he trying to express? So his his intent, his his intention is also very important. His or her intention, right? Right. Um, and and yeah. So a lot of it is also a very personal. Yes. But how can we actually, as a person on the street, I'm asking you lah. Okay, how can we oh, actually yeah. uh, capture the emotions of um, the artists based on just their output when we go to you know like like art museums or art gallery we see their artwork how are we able to capture if we do not encounter the artist you know how are we able to capture and, and try to figure out their their emotional state at a point is there a way mm. usually when you go to an art gallery there, there's always something for you to be right 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 uh, mm. usually there is a there is the there is a label there is a brochure there is there are you know accompanying tours and all that yeah, right, that, right. that help you understand and those are the, the, the first places mm-hmm. I would usually go to any, anyway you know for me yep. to get a sense of yeah when when did she produce this and what was happening at the time when she was doing this right um, yeah we cannot reach the artists and a lot of times we have no way of talking to them so yep. um, for, for me too a lot of times it's about yeah reading reading mm-hmm. up before looking at the work uh, right. But also, you you may want to just look at the work and see what how it's speaking to you before you read as well. So that's two ways of of uh, approaching the work. Right. Yeah. So you may also like want to hold off reading anything mm-hmm. and just sort of say, okay, what does this work say to me if I didn't know anything? And then after that, read read about it and then mm-hmm. sort of compare uh, notes. You know, and right, that, right. that could be interesting. Yeah. Okay, so you recommend to actually look at the artwork first, uh, feel it, and then only read that small little tag uh, uh, next to it at the bottom of the um, artwork. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I would, do, I would do it that way. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so you get, you get your first uh, sort of impression, right? Mm, yep. Yeah, because it's hard to to do it the other way around, where you already know or read, read something about the artist, and then now you're trying to appreciate it. Like for the first time. Yeah, I think especially for um, artists and especially famous artists, right? I think a lot of you know, person on the street, us, okay. Um, when we look at um, or when we hear a particular uh, art that is being uh, displayed in a museum or in an art gallery and all, what happens is a lot of us, you know, um, we go by okay names that we recognize and then we go and see uh, the artwork and all and then by which time we go in we have a preconceived notion about the art already so um, by the time we get there all right we see the artwork okay look out for the the famous ones and then okay look at the rest that are not so famous but then we carry with us a certain uh, sense of judgments and I said like preconceived notions like alright so yeah. uh, by the time we actually read the card oh okay so this is what it, it actually is okay alright so um so how do we account for that, especially when we go in with our own uh, um, uh, judgments and with our own, you know, uh, ideas already? So um, 
Is it? Are we able to actually yeah, think, uh, relearn and, just, and change that? Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think I think just uh, just keep an open mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, all of us go with our own ideas of what right. you know how it should look like or how you know it's supposed mm. to be. But um, I'm always prepared to change my mind about about it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I think yeah you should, you should maybe have that kind of uh, attitude like sort of be prepared to then say oh okay so it's not actually about that so how do I feel about it now you know right <laughs> so yeah 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 so yeah so I think uh, that's what makes it interesting too right oh yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, I mean, art is very subjective, right? You can, you can have all these interpretations, and then after, oh, after you see it, then it's like, um, it changes your perception a little bit, and then um, maybe you get a new interpretation out of it, right? I, I'm sure yeah, that's yeah. the idea. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what I am. Okay, I'm basically you know one of those that if I go to art gallery or I go to a, a, a museum and all that, what I normally do is. I go to look at the merchandise first and all that and and to have an idea of um, <laughs> to have an idea of okay what is uh, something that I should be looking out for especially when you when you go to um, you know the, the British gallery and all that so you want to have a look and see okay what what is actually noteworthy here first sample it first and then after that it, when we go for the tour then only we start looking out for uh, the pieces that are Wow, noteworthy and all that. And bring out camera, then sit there for a few uh, minutes, have a look and all that. All right? Yeah. So uh, that's right, right, usually right. my approach, like right. it. Yeah. I see. I see. But I would say, like, go for something that speaks to you, la. I mean, just sort of like wander around and then uh, wait for something to sort of jump out at you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I remember going to the Louvre once, and after that. This is it. The Mona Lisa is just that—a postage stamp. <laughs> In comparison to so many other things, right? And and you know, it, it. I don't know. To me, it felt like that was it. it it's like it paled by comparison a little bit, yeah. And I thought that, uh, yeah, a lot of stuff that I see back home, Malaysia, are actually just as good, if not even better than sometimes what is uh on. The Louvre, for example, of course, Louvre got deep, different areas and all that lah. So you pass the Renaissance or whatever, whatever the Expressionism and all that sort of things. Then you come to certain parts whereby, hmm, okay, what is this, you know? So, um, yeah, and I feel that you know, at least for me lah, in terms of aesthetics and appeal and all that, I feel that maybe um, I don't know whether I'm using the right word or not, but you know, um, I feel that yeah, there's a lot of things here in Malaysia because of our melting pot of culture that is actually uh, so appealing. Maybe to me like Maybe not to the Europeans, but it's so appealing to me because relatability is one thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Because yep. it's it's more relevant. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the perfect time now to segue into the elephant in the room. Okay. So last year, you decided to leave academia. Okay. You decided to leave the academic life to pursue art full time. Okay, talk us through your journey and what made you arrive at this decision. Because it's no small feat, you know, you work so hard to get from bachelor's to your master's to a PhD, you got your PhD, and then after that, in a matter of time, uh, you call an end to what could have been a long and fruitful academic career. So, as an academician myself, this is like, huh? Really? Okay, so I am keen to know your take on, on this. All right. So, what made you leave a life of academia and pursue art as a full-time endeavor? Okay. So, um, <laughs> when I 
maybe go back to when I was studying when I did my masters uh, I was very excited you know mm-hmm. I struggled through it but still I was very excited about it right and when I same thing happened with my PhD you know I was, I was very happy to be in the journey and mm-hmm. you know super excited and you know like you're forced to read so much and in the course of seven to eight years uh, basically spend so much time reading and writing about art right right uh, but I felt like I was learning so much all the time. I, I was very happy with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when I went back to work, I just, I felt like there was this big change from teaching in college. And I used to teach in college before right. studying. Um, and like in places like, say, Lim Kowing or Utah, mm-hmm. I, I was, my life as, as an academic would be mostly preparing teaching materials, oh, yeah. giving lectures, giving one-to-one tutorials. Mm-hmm. And I I enjoyed that, you know. Right. Um, but then when I went to um, University of Malaya, and it's a good university, but I guess I didn't realize that working at a university is not really about teaching. And you are first and foremost a researcher. Mm-hmm. You are expected to to publish in reputable journals, build right. your network mm-hmm. as a researcher through conferencing, collaborations, all kinds of academic collaborations. You know, right. so the, the the KPI, you know, the KPI <laughs> yes. is, is yep. design your your yeah, it's designed and built around research publications. Yeah, research and scholarly activities. You know, presenting yeah, yeah. papers, writing papers, uh, attending conferences, or you know, collaborating on on stuff that between universities and all that. So a lot of paperwork, I mean, yeah, right, yeah. And so I think there's this general feeling that nobody cares if you can teach or not. Mm. Like nobody really cares, really. I mean, most of the lecturers spend their time thinking about the next publication, right, and. So it can be demotivating because when the time comes for review, your annual review, yep. you know, and and uh, or promotion or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So it's always about uh, how often did you publish and Correct. where did you yeah. publish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it really didn't matter if you, you did a great job teaching or spend hours tutoring your students, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. So to me, that was a very flawed system, I guess. Yeah. And I think a couple of years into the job, I realized that actually this is not for me. Mm. And I, I I don't want to spend um, so much of my working life writing for academic journals. Right. But the problem was that for me, I, I did take a lot of time to do that. Uh, I, I took a, most of my time, I would say, uh, would be on thinking about the article and then <laughs> writing yeah. the article. Mm-hmm. And then yep. interviewing people for the article. So the article just took so much time. Right, right. And yes. I was thinking, I, I don't want to spend so much time. Because I was sleeping very late in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And I didn't sleep well and all that. Right. So um, actually in 2018, mm-hmm. uh, I was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. Oh dear. Um, okay. So I had an operation. I'm, I'm fine now. Mm-hmm. I had an operation to remove the tumour. And um, I did radiotherapy. All right. Uh, and then because of that, I, I changed my eating habits, my sleeping habits, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it did force me to, to rethink my, my career choice, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Right. 
uh, I, I just had to admit to myself that um, this is not what I want anymore. Um, right. Even though I, I thought for so long that yes, mm-hmm. this is you know where I want to be heading, but uh, yeah, I was spending so much time writing and editing, and so little time doing the things that I actually love to do. Right. And okay. and, mm-hmm. and those were those were just small things. Maybe um, I don't know, like designing something, sketching something, taking right. pictures. You know, uh, small things, but still, I was doing very little of that. Yeah. Uh, less and less mm. of that because I was uh, writing, reading, editing, and I just took up all. My yes, time. doing the university so thing that is expected of a PhD holder. Yes, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I think a lot. Some people love that, so that's fine, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had to admit to myself that okay, I'm not one of those people who who, who can say I love that. And I just right. want to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I I have this all this pent up energy. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to want to do something with my hands I think you know right and then so I told myself yeah that's what I should do um, so I just went out and I I decided to start with uh, buying art materials coming back doing things with my daughter and my daughter loves art my daughter loves right. uh, craft uh, cardboard art anything mm-hmm. drawing you know so um, I I just Basically, binged on YouTube tutorials. <laughs> I I was just uh, looking for ideas, and uh, I'm I mean I really didn't know what I was gonna do, but I, I sort of I spoke to my husband, mm-hmm. um, and I I struggled with the decision, of course, because there's one side of me that said, "Come on, you you want to quit? You know, it's like it's like you're quitting because it. You know, are you sure you're not quitting because it's like." Uh, you're just a bit stressed out about it or something like that yeah mm. yeah so um it is are you like wasting your phd you know right uh, if you if you do this so i, I talked to a, a lot of friends about it and some of my a very good friend uh, told me something she said um you know just because you quit your job doesn't mean that you wasted your time studying for your phd you know right Mm. Uh, you know, you you don't lose what you have gained from it just because you quit your job. So I thought, yeah, that's that's really true, you know. Mm. Um, and because going through that process was great. I mean, I liked it. I I I value it, you know. So it it shapes my understanding of of art today. And so uh, it it won't be wasted. Yeah, in that sense, I know it's not going to be wasted. So. Yeah, it's totally fine to, to do something else. So then I talked to my husband and he was agreeable. So I just made that decision to, to quit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, um, you address a lot of... Uh, certain concerns with people who are in uh, academia and all that like after they have done their PhD then after that they they, they you know uh, get sucked into that black hole of okay like what you said you know research outputs have to do scholarly activities have to you know um, attend conferences you know present papers and all and you know by which time they have, re- they have like you have invested quite a significant amount of time to get their PhD and I guess a lot of those maybe in academia will probably feel that it's a bridge too far to turn back now. So a lot of them, yes. you know, uh, get stuck in that uh, situation whereby, okay, uh, just, all right, 
continue doing what I'm doing and all. Okay, meet my KPIs. All right. So um, then you you see um, in certain cases, like okay, sometimes students complain that okay, lecturers are not that good and all that sort of things. That's because maybe they neglected their actually their teaching skills and all that. Yeah, and this doesn't only happen in. Public universities, if you think about it, right? Because I can share similar experiences during my time at Taylor's as well. And Taylor's, our KPI was like research and scholarly activity. The first thing that's just like, wow, how many percent is that? And then teaching. Okay, I have to teach X amount of hours a week. And, you know, by the end of the semester and of course, by the end of, you know, the appraisal period and all that, right? You see your KPI. Okay, so... Carry like that only uh, this this amount of uh, points only. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, yeah, that's like yeah. okay, but I didn't write any research paper this year. Well, so okay, um, we go in there, then of course, you know, your bosses will tell you, okay, next year you must improve and all that sort of things because we are a <laughs> university and we are we are going for uh, the QS uh, ranking and all that sort of things. Okay, okay, okay. exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's all about rankings. Yes, that's very important now for them. I, I I'll say for them now because I. I teach in a in a small local college and also um, right now um, yeah I guess that is water under the bridge for me like, at this moment but you know uh, I will probably uh, will have to consider doing a PhD myself like at some point yeah because it's, you know I think it's something that's worthwhile for me as well yeah um, yeah but you know um, hats off to you for um, of course putting all this together and and evaluating where you are in your life and okay uh, discussing with your husband and of course you know uh, moving on from a, a life beyond academia and um, yeah that seems to work out to be you know something that's very successful for you right as an artist yeah your artwork is yeah. that, that sitting uh, behind you I, I'm, I keep you know getting sucked into it and all so yeah <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so I mean, I, I'm so, I mean, I'm really thankful that I, I found something that, uh, you know, that I love. And uh, I actually was a surprise to myself as well. I mean, I, I was surprised because I, I I don't know why I didn't think of it earlier, you know. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I tr- I've tried so many different things mm-hmm. uh, like photography um, and of course graphic design. And right. I did do freelancing and all that, but... Um, I mean, one day I just sat down and said, like, how come I didn't try painting? It, it's mm-hmm. kind of weird because I I love painting and I I love abstract painting as well. So, right. um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It just didn't occur to me, and I think I just felt that it was not it was something not practical. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, kind of like I had that idea like it was okay for other people to do it, but maybe not for me. Like it's just not a practical thing. My next question would be like. Um, did you ever feel like maybe, or did you ever felt that perhaps, you know, okay, I'm giving up a, a, a career in PhD and I'm pursuing uh, painting full-time, all right? So, um, obviously, you probably will have some reservations at first, right? I'm, I'm sure because, you know, did that fear or insecurity ever crept in that, you know, this may, I may not get, you know, um, you know, consistent paycheck coming in kind of uh, arrangement. So, did that actually you know, put certain fears or certain insecurities in you. I'm just want to capture this because, you know, if you ask me to give up everything and, and to be a, a freelance, a full-time artist rather, I would probably like, okay, I don't have those skills, number one. But if I do, um, I'll always be a bit worried that, you know, I might not get that consistent, you know, salary kind of, you know, periodic mm-hmm. payment every now and yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. 
I think definitely that is a major concern and I think that's why it's so important to speak to your spouse first <laughs> before doing anything. Right. <laughs> I yeah, I I I made sure that in a sense that um my husband was comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um and um I knew that I was not going to be sort of earning what I did before. I so I had to sort of prepare myself that way definitely. Um okay. uh, but uh Once that is out of the way, if I'm comfortable earning with much less mm-hmm. to, to start with, um, the other thing, the other fear is mostly um, actually the fear of being judged. You know mm-hmm. that I, I I think that was even I was even more fearful in that sense. You know, right? Because you're putting yourself out there uh, when you when you do something like this, mm-hmm. um, which is very different from teaching. You know, right. um, you you don't put yourself out there so much. You 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 are relating, you know, ideas. You are you know discussing. You're not like mm. creating something and then putting it for somebody else to judge. Right. right. So uh, yeah, it was something I was not very familiar. A feeling I was not very familiar with. And mm. it, it did feel very. Um, I felt very vulnerable. Right. Um, Yeah, and, and and I sometimes still still do actually, but it's just uh, that's that's how it is at the beginning, um, and then you sort of have to get comfortable with putting it out there. Right. Yeah, yeah. and not to, to worry too much. Yeah. Mm, right. Thank you so much for um, even sharing uh, something that is very personal to you and all that. Yeah, really appreciate that. Your work is largely abstract, right? As we can see, right? And you are inspired by the works of Juan Miro, you know, Franz Klein and um, Kandinsky. Okay, and your work is produced largely using acrylics, uh, acrylic uh, pencils, and of course, oil pastels on canvas. Yeah. Um, what gave birth to this preference for this particular media? Right? Was it something that you were comfortable with growing up? Or did you actually have to, you know, learn and to use these medias? It's definitely something I'm I'm comfortable with growing up. So uh, I mean, not the not acrylics, but what I mean is that um, you know something I learned from talking to many many artists mm-hmm. it, it, is that uh, in order to produce work that is uh, authentic to you, right. meaning meaning work that that really reflects you. At your voice, right? Um, you you need to go for art materials that you are naturally drawn to. Right. So you, that's where you start. That's your starting point. So mm-hmm. if you feel comfortable with the with how it feels, uh, mostly with how it feels in your hand, right. um, you know that maybe you're comfortable with how it smells. Uh, that's that's your starting point. That's where you go. So I think um, acrylics, for example, is, is comfortable for me because I can make very fast strokes with it. Or, Uh, it takes very short time to dry. I can paint over it, over and over again. So you know things like that. So you you uh, you need to be comfortable with the the movement that you can make with it. Um, and then of course after that it's just a matter of refining uh, your art form and all that lah, so to speak, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. So in uh, George Ines's words, uh, the true use of art is first to cultivate the artist's own spiritual nature. You listed that one of your creative values is to connect to a higher power. Perhaps you could shed some light into how you, or perhaps 
an aspiring artist, right? So could be anyone for that matter, right? Could be maybe me. I decide I want to become an artist tomorrow, or maybe a, a student of mine, or maybe a former student of yours, or whatever, right? So um, perhaps you could shed some light into how any of us can tap into this spiritual element to produce better and more positive work. Right. So um, one of the things I I discovered is that I mean through this recent experience, right, is that when we're doing something creative like painting, or even like cooking or designing, um, we we are actually sort of co-laboring with a higher power. Mm. Okay. Mm. I don't know if that sounds weird to you, but it's like when you're putting down. A color when you're moving in a certain way, if you're dancing, you, you are not actually operating just at a, a physical level. You mm-hmm. are actually operating at an intellectual level and also at, at a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. Because you, you know you are you are sort of uh, quieting your yourself. Uh, you are learning to to listen, lean into your intuition. All right. And and you know how sometimes when you're working and you suddenly get this great idea or great solution and and you don't know where it even comes from, right? And because you're 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 in the zone, and then the idea comes to you. Yeah. So I'm saying that sometimes when when you when you get a good idea, right? You you don't know where that idea comes from. Mm-hmm. And you know, I believe that sometimes it comes from you, but sometimes it comes from the spiritual dimension, right? right? Okay. And sometimes you you yeah, you just don't know where. Uh, you are getting these these ideas from, yeah. So when you are creating art, you are actually cultivating your spiritual side. So when you start painting, is there a particular ritual or a calming of the self down before you start painting, or you start painting and then um, you just let it flow and go with it? So yeah, does it happen before or it happens midway through, or is it all throughout? Okay, so for me, it starts uh, with the painting. So I don't do anything before that to sort of prepare myself or anything. Mm-hmm. But the, the 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 painting itself, the act of painting, is a little bit like meditation. So mm-hmm. when you're painting, that's when you are you you feel. Um, that's when you can sort of uh, sort of close off other things and just focus on that moment how is a typical uh, working day for you now <laughs> all right as compared to when you were in academia okay so we had a snapshot of what you were like in academia and all this you know uh, <laughs> chasing for paper and all that so how is your typical working day today 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 i don't really have a typical day i guess <laughs> but i i i still start off the day pretty much the same way actually um what i do is uh, I have my morning meditation and then I do um, my morning pages, you know, it's something like writing. I don't know if you know morning pages. And then um, uh, I go for a walk uh, with my husband. Right. And then, and then after that, basically half the time is painting, half the time is spent doing other things like uh, sort of admin stuff like photographing the work or updating the website right? Right. or like you know reading marketing you know whatever yeah so it's like half half uh, yeah -hmm. with the lockdown now being a little bit more relaxed okay and we see the economy is going 
almost back to business as usual. Where can we hope to see some of your artwork? Okay, now this is for the listeners who are listening in, who may be interested in your work, and you know, maybe interested in maybe visiting a gallery or a place whereby they can look at your art and appreciate your art. So, uh, where can we hope to see your artwork? Actually, not uh, not physical galleries. Mm-hmm. Um, it in fact actually last the, the beginning of the year. Uh, I was supposed to be in a in a exhibition, and it was a physical one. Right. But then uh, COVID happened, and then it so um, it was just online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, that was with the Art People Gallery. Yeah. Right. Um, so now my all my works are online in on my website. And of course, uh, you can follow me on Instagram as well. I also post like progress work there and uh, finished work there as well. But my website would be uh, all my finished works. This is your opportunity to shout out about your Instagram and your Facebook. So take it away. <laughs> so, okay, so you can follow me. My Instagram handle is Amy Tiren, E-M-Y-T-H-I-R-E-N. And then my website is www.emithirin.com you, okay. you can actually directly buy my work through the website um, online So you can see different views of it And if you need more views, uh, you just email me And then I'll be happy to share more pictures with you Thank you so much for your time today, uh, Amelia It's been you know really Thank fun and really engaging and enlightening talking to you yep, From a um, man of the street <laughs> Conversations.